3: Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com slash talk
2: to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDSE. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik, everybody. I'm Jesse Cofield, live from our Boston studios. We are going to continue our NFL Week 2 weekend recap, including the one that went down in our own backyard, Pat's Dolphins. And here to help us do just that, we have a special guest in studio, Ross Tucker, the man, the myth, the legend, friend of the program.
3: What's up? It's nice to actually be here. Thank you, guys. Ross,
0: looking good out in the studio, man. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, thanks for giving us some insight into the most important portion of the game that we watched last night on Sunday. No, I'm not even going to get the one that's going to tick you off yet, Ross. Ross Tucker, for anyone that hasn't followed or been a part of the Ross Tucker football show and the podcast and the great things he's doing over there, tuck spreads have become an institution. Ross going on the road, calling games, making sure that everybody knows which press boxes and stadiums are gonna have the best eats here. You were on the call, and we'll get to all the game action from the Patriots and the Dolphins last night, but Ross, what was the spread like,
3: brother? You know what, New England perennially is top five in the league, Uh, very, very impressive. They had multiple salad options, which I appreciate, and then they had some slaw, but the key was three different proteins, guys. They had terrific chicken, it was uh, so moist and delicious, then they had pulled pork, they had brisket, and then they always have the chowda. Get yourself some chowda. You know you're getting yourself some chowda when you're in Boston. So that was awesome. However, a little bit controversial because the star of the show when you do a game in New England is these gigantic cookies they have. They have like peanut butter chocolate chip cookies or double chocolate chip cookies as big as my face, which is, as you can tell, huge, they didn't have them in the press box. Thankfully, I came down from the press box, I went to the radio booth, which as you guys both know, maybe the best radio booth in the NFL. It's like right next to Tariqo and Collinsworth. It's right there. They had the cookies there. So I want to get your opinion on something. This is very serious. I'm trying to not be too much of a fatty, so what I kept doing was, rather than taking a whole cookie, I was, I was that guy that kept breaking them in half and only having a half or maybe even a quarter of the cookie. The problem is, I probably did that 8 to 12 times yeah. throughout the night, so I really didn't end up saving myself anything I don't think.
1: Well, I, I it, it just makes us feel better, right? That we're not just jamming the whole cookie into our mouth. We've all been there. We'll take a piece. We'll take a piece thinking there's a little bit of you that says maybe I won't eat the whole cookie, but we know we all laugh at that and scoff because we know we're going to eat the whole cookie. I have to say, when you first mentioned, there's a lot of salad that would automatically knock it down in the goal. Yeah, book for sure. Fair point. Um, so we're, we're not big into that. What I want to ask you, Ross, what's, What's the best one? Do, do you have a, an ultimate clear-cut winner of stadiums around the NFL?
3: Well, so for me right now, there's there's two. Um, it's tough to tell because I've only done the Thanksgiving Day game the last couple of years. But the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry, Grandma. I'm sorry to my mother-in-law. The Dallas Cowboys have by far the best Thanksgiving spread I've ever encountered in my entire life. Anything you could possibly want for Thanksgiving, they have, that's been like the real positive of being away from my family and working on Thanksgiving the last couple of years is just like the sliced ham, they have like filet and then they have all the turkey, all the stuffing, all, all the traditional Thanksgiving stuff as well. It's just remarkable. I love it. But I, I'm also really partial guys to Green Bay. I mean, Green Bay, so it's a tough place to get to. But it's my favorite stadium in the league. And then the game starts at noon. So you get there three hours before the game. You get there at 9 a.m. Omelette Station. And unlike most omelette stations in the United States, there isn't a line 10 deep of people waiting for an omelette. I love omelettes. We all love omelettes. But usually I look at the line. I'm like, I I don't have time for that. Not Green Bay. They got two guys with two pans each. So they're both double fisting. So we got four omelets going (laughs) at the same time. So I'm able to get my omelet. I go down in the field, talk to some dudes, come back up to the booth. They have, again, you guys don't like this, but I do. They have the best salad bar in the league. And then they usually have pulled pork and mac and cheese, which to me, I'm at the stage of my life where mac and cheese is like a condiment. It's like a topping. <laughs> so I get a whole layer of pulled pork and then just put a couple dollops of the mac and cheese on top like as, as a layered thing there. Because the key is to get some mac and cheese in every bite of the yep. pulled pork. So I crush that and then guys, halftime. The NFL is killing All me. Right. They, keep, they keep cutting it down. I go two brats at halftime. Not many mere mortals can have two brats in seven minutes, but I can.
0: Ross Tucker, built yeah. different. Yeah. That's what not, what people need to take away from this. Is so true. If you think your favorite analyst is built somewhat like him, I can assure you they're not two brats at halftime, not in that time limit, not in these constraints. So it, it, it's a remarkable <laughs> look at the most important part of covering sports. This is the side that most people don't get to right. see. Right. And so thank you, Ross, as always for shining light on that, the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, is where you can get more of these fantastic reviews and some NFL analysis to go along with it. And, Ross, why don't we start with uh, Sunday Night Football last night, Patriots, Dolphins, what we saw out of this matchup here. We were all going in, looking at this Miami offense and this Patriot defense, wondering what Bill Belichick was going to do to try and slow down this unit. What did you see and how effective they were or weren't?
3: Well, they they focused on Tyreek Hill, and not surprisingly, Tyreek said before the game he expected to be doubled. He was doubled a lot during the game, and I think that might be, guys, why I'm so impressed with the Dolphins, right? They showed they're not a one-trick pony. They're not just throwing the ball to Tyreek Hill all over the place. Raheem Mostert and the Dolphins ran the ball very effectively against a good Patriots front. Look, this is, you guys know, you can both play. This is the chess match that goes on from week to week in college football and the NFL. Okay, Tua throws for 466, Tyreek has 215. Belichick's not gonna let you do that. So what's your counterpunch to that? Well, the counterpunch to that was they threw the ball with some of the other guys, and they ran the ball with Mostert. I gotta tell you too, um, I don't know that we give Tua enough credit for the touch that he puts on the ball he I mean every week there are multiple beautiful throws he doesn't have the big arm but even on the move he is able to drop the ball right in the bucket the one throw on the sideline to Barrios was so impressive so I think this Dolphins team is for real their defense looked very very good last night even though they didn't have Jalen Phillips and so I think we might need to start talking I mean look we all know about the Buffalo Kansas City, and Cincinnati, but through the first couple weeks, the Dolphins might be the most impressive team. I mean, 2-0, and on the road, at the Chargers, at New England. I'm not sure anybody's looked better in the AFC so far, at least early in the season, than the Miami Dolphins.
1: Yeah, I mean, what what they were able to do, and, and you guys as offensive guys would love, 30 passes, 30 runs. You saw New England playing some three deep early on, so New, uh, Miami's saying, fine, we'll run the ball on Mostert had himself a nice night running the ball as well. And you're right about Tua. There's completions and then there's completions. When Tua can get the ball to you when you have the ability to make yards after the catch. It's not just a completion if you have to turn backward or jump too high or go down low where you where you can't do anything after the catch. He lays the ball out there extremely well. On the other side of that with New England, this as we, we've talked about, this is the Mac Jones year. Is he going to be the quarterback of the future? I know we're just... We're just a couple of games in, but
3: what do you see out of that offense that would maybe give Patriot fans any hope for where it's going? You know, Mike, it's interesting because I guess I kind of feel like Mac Jones is almost the least of the issues for the Patriots. I mean, you watch them. That's two games now. They can't run the ball at all. I mean, they can't run the ball at all. And when you have pedestrian wide receivers, like the Patriots have. You don't have an elite quarterback. I think Mac Jones is a good quarterback. You know, I think the upside for him is maybe being between the 10th and 15th best quarterback in the NFL. They gotta be able to run the rock. I mean, the way this team is built, and I think that's probably what jumps out to me, guys. Watching them against the Eagles, watching them against the Dolphins, I mean, let's be honest, their players aren't as good. Their roster's not as good. So what that means is they have a much smaller margin for error so if they're going to have DeMario Douglas fumble in the red zone, if Mac Jones is going to throw that pick to Xavier Howard in the, in the red zone, they're not going to be able to win games. Same thing happening as the Eagles the week before. They just have a smaller room for error than other teams because I don't think they're very talented. I think they're middling.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of times people look at the offenses like Miami's, like San Francisco, that make use of a ton of motion, that employ a lot of clever schemes, and think that, oh, well, those would be good things to cover up when you've got a lack of talent. This isn't college football. Those are done to exploit matchups when you've got extremely talented players and ones that are capable of shouldering a lot of load. When you're a team like New England, you can't run that because, to Ross's point, you don't have the dues. This is a Jimmy's and Joe's problem, I think, for New England, especially offensively. So it is going to be a struggle to make chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what in a lot of cases this year. But, Dad, you said it before, the Patriots are going to be in every game they're in this year because of that defense and because of the special teams. Ross, last night I think we might have seen the coolest special teams play we'll see all year. The running field goal block, Brendan Schooler comes in for the New England Patriots and catches the Dolphins napping, gets that block. Ross, this is a copycat league. Do you think we're going to see other teams trying to pull this off in the future?
3: Well, there's no doubt. And first of all, speaking of shouldering the load, can you guys do me a favor when I'm done with my segment and I watch the rest of the show, is there a way you guys can get a little bit closer to each other? Maybe. I want to see if your guy's shoulders can actually touch while I'm talking to you. I am getting, dude, I am loving. Please tell me. Mike uh, Jr., that your mom is taking a picture of you guys sitting there that close to each other <laughs> while we're talking. Oh yeah, this could be part of the Christmas card yeah, without question,
0: is. Ross. She's been trying to find ways to do this for years, and so I think she's the one that put our directors <laughs> and producers up to just before the show, time. hey, wouldn't you a little closer, a little closer, a little closer. You getting... closer. <laughs> do you want to just sit on Santa's lap? I mean, it's yeah. ridiculous. In
3: oh man, I love, but no, in terms of the, uh, you know, I love, and I know you guys are the same way, I love when you see something in a football game that you've never seen before, you know? And that Brendan Schooler off the edge block kick, that was so cool. And it makes sense, right? Because he actually has some momentum. You know, he has some speed when he hits it off the edge. So we are going to see that. Uh, Now, what's the counter to it? First of all, it looked to me like Christian Wilkins wasn't ready for it as the wingback those wing backs will now be on on red alert for that, right? So they'll be looking for that. So it won't be as easy. But still, the point is, the guy rushing off the edge is no longer starting from a standstill or from a stop position. He's got the momentum which helps. So now what you'll see is you will see uh, kickers and field goal teams have to change up the count a little bit to try to get those guys to false start. I still think teams should do it though, because you can't tell me on that 55-yarder by the Dolphins later in the game that that kicker wasn't thinking about. I think you know they're just not used to their peripheral vision seeing motion coming from that side, and you know the way kickers are, they got to be so locked in. They're like golfers. If you can do anything from the side or whatever to distract them at all, so I think even if you can't block it. Just having guys run in from both sides, just trying to mess with the kicker's head seems like it's worth it. All
1: right, one more on this, and then let's move on to some other games. The, the question about, the you know, the, the thick sixes are here, the thick first downs, and what was your thought? Mike and I differ on this. Fourth down, last drive for New England. Mike desecchi catches the ball, knows he's not going to make it to the first down marker, turns, pitches it to Cole Strange, the offensive lineman, who goes forward trying to get the first down, very clearly obvious to me. He did not make the first down. Mike thinks the officials have it in for the big guys and not giving him the
3: first down. Haters. What do you Haters. say, Ross? Well, you know what? First of all, Mike, uh, kudos to Gesicki for even thinking about that and doing it, right? I, I mean, you know, it's, it's fourth down, right? The game's over if you get tackled. I love that Gesicki even thought of it and laddled it. And then, strange, we, we can't lose sight of what's important here, which is that... <laughs> Belichick, once again, as a genius, understands getting the ball to your athletes in space, right? He understands, get the ball to your most gifted skill position, guys. Kosicki with the hook and lateral back to... I mean, Strange is 315, and he skied in the air for that, and what was pirouetting through the air as he caught it, he got hit three yards short of the line to gain, Had a couple of his buddies push him forward. I thought it was close. Look, he was probably a little bit short. But can we not look at that? Can Terry Terry McCauley just be quiet? And can we not look at that and just say, you know what? Close enough, okay? I don't think it was indisputable visual evidence because my O-line colored glasses thought it was one of the most beautiful things these eyes have ever seen. Uh, Unfortunately, he was a little bit short. Yeah, listen,
0: rule Uh, rule of cool applies here. If the play is cool enough, it should stand. I firmly believe that that should be a bigger part of sports in a day and age where we're so focused on robot umps and VAR and what Hawkeye that tennis has here. Sometimes when cool stuff happens, you need to not look a gift horse in the mouth and you need to walk it on over to the stable and take it for a ride here. It's honestly disgusting to me that Robert Hunt, also, Hall of Fame, big, great guy over on the other side who at one point was on the receiving end. You remember they were trying to throw a screen and the ball ended up going to him instead of the running back. And he advanced it gloriously to great fame over the end zone and only for it to not count because that's against the rules. And so he had to look on the other side now, and watch it to happen to his big guy brother and Cole Strange. It's a travesty, a sham and a mockery. It's a travisham Sham mockery. I am completely with Ross. Get the ball to your best big athletes in space. Can we be done? Can, can we you be know, done
3: you know, and move on from this? You know I what's mean, funny, seriously? guys? I was on the radio call for both those games. I was on, like, like I think. So when people, like, when people are, like, like maybe having a little bit of issues with their faith, okay, in life, that's all they need to know. God put me, as Goalie Junior always tweets, God is good. God put me in the booth. For both of those epic O line athletic performances with the ball in their hands.
0: Oh man, that is a beautiful thing. Won't he do it, Dad? Won't the Lord look down and shine his light? Ross is a vessel for large excellence here. Well, and mean, you need to be more listen, cognizant of that. You should be ashamed of yourself too. Here's, you and hate nasty. Here's what I say.
1: The Lord throws a bone to the worst athletes on the field every now and okay.
0: then. Okay. You You're done. Why don't you move on last that. Him you know what, I by will, the way? I hey, hey, hey Junior.
3: On. Junior, how is it possible that your dad? was that athletic that he played D-line for a decade in the NFL. I mean, that's crazy. D-line in the NFL are ridiculous athletes. And looking at him sitting next to you right now, he doesn't look that athletic. I'm 60, Ross. I'm 60.
1: (laughs) What do you think happened? You look like a 60-year-old NARP. All right, onward we move. Uh, Do you have any concern with the Cincinnati Bengals being 0-2, even though... Joe Burrow has had a propensity to not do well in the first two games of the season in his
3: career. Well, so I would say the concern there, Mike, is just Burrow's calf. You know, he was limping and gimpy towards the end of that game, and he had one of those, whatever they're called, Thera guns or whatever, trying to make his calf feel better. It looked to me like he aggravated or re-aggravated, whatever you want to say. And so the concern there is, how does that affect him moving forward? And the AFC is rough. Uh, the AFC North in particular, I think, is a very good division. We know the Ravens are already 2-0. You really can't afford to fall that far behind if you want to be hosting playoff games.
0: It really is going to be the challenge, and I think that's what we both echoed before, is, yeah, that's fine. We know your best punch hasn't come early if you're the Bengals, but... If all of a sudden you're not capable of throwing your best bunch because of injury, life can get a lot harder there. Ross, we could sit here and do this with you oh, all day. Yeah, we Thank could. you for speaking wow. truth to power, as always, yeah. with your platform, as a large, excellent man yourself. Wow. Thank you so much, my friend. We'll talk to you very soon when I kick Dad out of this chair.
3: My pleasure, and I'll be watching the next segment just to see if you guys can touch shoulders for an entire <laughs> segment. Just touch
0: It's <laughs> conjoined Thank broadcasting you. twins here. Thanks, Rob. The
3: Ross Appreciate Tucker it. Football
0: Podcast. Check it out. You'll, Great stuff as always. You'll be happy. In
1: another minute we go to break, you and Ross can chat, you know, in the break and get giddy about O-line play. Oh, listen, you're just mad because he said you don't look athletic. I mean, what is that? I'm a 60-year-old man. What, oh. what
0: does he want I me mean, to look like? I mean, listen, and, I mean, honestly, if we want to get serious about the career, I was I was a fat offensive lineman my entire life. I, you know, I can never have claimed to have been one of those O lineman athletes, the guys, you know like Zach Martin, Mike McGlinchey, guys that were like basketball players in high school and stuff, I was one thing my whole life. Yeah, You did get less athletic as you went along because you started off as like a linebacker and you did a bunch of stuff. I did. And then they slowly, as you went yeah. up in level, I just kept pushing you hand down onto the ground and then further into the line here. So they were sending you a message about your athlete.
1: They were. That I was a good athlete. I was a really good athlete in high school. I was a decent athlete in college and I was not an athlete in the NFL. (laughs)
0: Yes, exactly. There are (laughs) levels to this. Tim Legler always tells great stories about that relative to the NBA. You could tell him about the NFL. Coming up next though, let's look ahead to Monday Night Football and a matchup in the NFC South next here on Gojo and Goal. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golick, Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., Jesse Cofield out in Boston with us. And... I had the realization today, it was like a nice little surprise, like finding a 20 in your pocket when you pull it. You don't do your own laundry, but when you pull pull a 20 out of the laundry, occasionally, occasionally. mom does does your laundry, which means she finds the $20 bill in the pants. It's just a
1: nice way to to say you live alone.
0: Yeah, listen, I'm a single father of none, which means I got to take care of my own business. Uh I'm an I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T man. Huh? Do you know what that is? Independent man. Yeah, at a point. But, you know, when you find that 20 in your pants pocket coming out of the dryer, it's a great surprise. I forgot we're in Monday night football doubleheader yes, season. we are. We get spoiled all weekend long, multiple college games on, the whole NFL action, seven hours of commercial free football. And then you get to the primetime window, it can sometimes feel lonely. We got Panthers, and we got Saints tonight, and we've also got Steelers, and we got Browns tonight here. So, Dad, let's take a look at both of them. Yeah. We'll start off with uh, both division games, which is pretty cool. Panthers-Saints, this is going to be a tough one for Bryce Young. I think in my preseason predictions when we were talking in Kansas City, I may have mentioned the wrong quarterback in terms of the 4,000-yard range because yes. so far C.J. Stroud is cutting this thing loose out there in Houston. Now his O-line's a little banged up, so he doesn't have much time to throw it, but he's been getting after it out there. Bryce Young, we saw in week one, struggled to find targets to throw to, and I don't know if this New Orleans Saints defense is going to be the place where that gets any easier. No, I,
1: I don't think it is either. Frank Reich's talking about you know the coach in Carolina getting more chunk plays as long as completion was 14 yards. I don't know if that's happening, and I don't know – if you want to worry about that so much right now, you lost your best receiver in D.J. Moore in the trade. Yep. You do have Adam Thielen there, but you have Miles Sanders in the backfield at over 1,200 yards, albeit behind the best O-line in football in Philadelphia yeah. last year. Life's with, a
0: little different right now.
1: And with a quarterback that could run in jail and hurts. But you still, he's a good running back. I still think you need to try and be as balanced as you can and not worry about a chunk yards because, too, again, New Orleans is a pretty good defense as well as far as getting pressure on the quarterback. So, I mean, you pick your spots. and I, I don't think I'm going to worry about chunking plays too much out there other than getting a balance. The balanced offense is going to help your young quarterback more than anything else. If, God forbid, you actually have some kind of a rushing attack, you're going to help your quarterback. Because you mentioned C.J. Stroud, first quarterback in the first two games, over 80 pass attempts, no interceptions. He's not turning the ball over. You know, and, and sees so I. I I'm not so worried about big plays downfield. I think they'll come if your offense is balanced enough, and you work into that instead of just looking for them. So I, I don't agree with we got to get more chunk plays.
0: I, I, on the other side, looking at chunk plays, that life could be a little bit easier for the New Orleans Saints because one, you have Michael Thomas back into the picture yes, last you do. week, and what a welcome sign! Yeah. I know we're still. Going to always wonder about what the ceiling looks like for Derek Carr. That didn't look like the most explosive offense in football week one against the Titans, but they got to win in a close game. And one of the guys that used to be a hallmark of this team now, Chris Olave, probably the best receiver on this team now, based on what injuries done. That's been the issue for Michael Thomas. But if he could go out there and still be a major factor in your offense, that's a coup for this team that's still got Alvin Kamara in the backfield and is going to face a Panthers team that doesn't have J.C. Horn in the back end now.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and and this this defense for uh, New Orleans gave up a few chunk plays in their first game in, in their win over Tennessee. I think one was a long run to Derrick yeah. Henry. Um, so, I, I just don't foresee that happening, and, and I just think Carolina needs to build it a different way with the talent they have around them right now.
0: So you've got that ready to go. Uh, Brian Burns in the lineup. uh, Still, we know that that guy was obviously another one of those camp conversations around a big contract for him there. So it's going to be interesting. Dad, ultimately looking at this game, New Orleans a favorite at home in this game, understandably so. I expect them to be able to pull this off me right too. now just because I think the matchup is the worst possible thing you could hope for. For a young quarterback who I still think is remarkably talented. I still I think too. Bryce Young is a great player, but I think we just saw that it's going to be a common problem all year. There just aren't a lot of people on that offense capable of right. getting open and helping their young right. players. That's exactly
1: right. He, he's still it, There's no one that really to carry right now until they build more talent around them.
0: So let's look at the other game then, Dad. And This one to me is... Another interesting proving ground. Week one, we were so excited about Pittsburgh, that defense, coming off of a preseason where they looked really good and we probably put too much stock in that. I say we as the collective media, not necessarily you and I. And they got humbled against the 49ers defense that we knew, one of the best right, in football. right. I want to see how it looks now against the Browns defense that might try and insert themselves into similar conversation because you look at week one and the Cleveland Browns defense was one of the clear winners. And so now are we going to see, is that transferable, especially inside of the division? And is this Pittsburgh Steelers offense going to have the same tough sled in the head with Miles Garrett staring you down instead of Nick Bosa on the other Remember, side?
1: Remember, Jim Swartz, the new D coordinator in Cleveland, he's an yeah. attacking type player. Any defensive player loves to play that kind of style, though it can certainly lead. You're outside guys on on an island. Thankfully, they got the dudes That's exactly right. If you don't get home, you're on an island a little longer. But they're pretty strong at all levels. You know, line, linebacker, and certainly secondary. I picked Micah Parsons as my defensive player. Didn't go out on a limb. You didn't either. You picked Miles Garrett, who Jim Schwartz, like Micah Parsons in Dallas, moving around from different spots, still playing the edge a little bit more than he has, doing the same to Miles Garrett. Well, Miles Garrett is playing like a linebacker and walking up and, you know, Euro stepping it up to the line. I mean, seriously, that freak of nature doing that. I mean, but moving him around to different spots, what Schwartz is doing, the guy's a terror on what he can do to an offensive line, to a young offensive line here in Pittsburgh. So a huge, huge edge. To this Cleveland Browns defense in this
0: game, yeah, and you're right. It's going to be who's Miles Garrett going to disrespect? Yeah. this week by playing a different sport. Maybe he'll try badminton or something. We'll see what else he can demonstrate. Pickleball got to be right. That's Ooh, that's a new but with thing, the hot right, one right, right now. Yeah, that's it. Get someone. I don't even know what kind of like. I haven't played pickleball yet. I think that's one of the things on the to-do list while I'm here in yeah. South Bend is for me to just go and exert my dominance against a non-athlete P- like yourself. Can I just
1: say if you and I play pickleball, I will
0: beat you. I mean, that's just not. Are we going to live stream that?
2: Can we get like a oh, somebody Yeah, to film? We'll make sure
0: someone's rolling on that so okay. we've got that done because oh, it's I promise me, you I'm not Me and lose.
1: your mother are gonna play against you and Jenny, your sister-in-law. Jake's back is a little a little stiff right sure. now. So you're gonna team up with Jenny. So the two Man. 59 and 60 year olds are gonna beat the two, the 33 and the 31 year old, or however old Jenny is. I, I say
0: I'm just worried about Jenny being in the liability here because I'm comfortable in myself.
1: Jenny already said that she is going to be so distraught. If I beat her, me and, and and your mother beat her, which we're going to do, we're going to beat you yeah, and Jenny. No. We're going to no, because you, I don't have to, the thing about it is you don't have to worry about a power game
0: because pickleball is oh, not a power game. Brother, power has never been my game as yeah. a football player. I was never bigger, faster, stronger than everybody else. I'm a technician, and I'm better at ping pong than you. So all of this put what? together is going to translate into this. Why are you just
1: pulling that out of thin
0: air? When is the last time we played ping pong? To give you any indication you're better than me? I just these are one of these things I just know. Like sometimes you know, faith is you know, faith is believing without necessarily seeing. I've got a lot of faith in this situation. I've also got Jesse. What?
2: Well, I was just going to say maybe we should make this interesting. Maybe we put the shirts on the line. The shirts that are living. In oh, Senior's my... closet.
0: Oh, oh. A loser leaves town match for the shirts. Wow. Good call. All hmm. right. So if I win, if I win, I the shirts ne- are coming out of my closet, or, or, and you can never wear or, my shirts or again. Or you can leave them there and I can never wear them again. I will honor that. <laughs> no, I'm putting them back in the closet and you're not to touch okay, them anymore. All right. I don't and, even want you looking at them. If, not even if, if there's a fire. If, if
1: me and your mother win, I can wear. I can go into that closet anytime I want.
0: Yeah. I mean, you already do. Uh, well, so. no, But if, if we have
1: a Without bet on this. Without
2: complaints.
0: Yes, I would say you will get free run of the closet if you win this bet here. All right. Oh, man, you're going down hard. You get frustrated
1: because when we go putt-putt as a family, putt-putt golf, you're the first one to throw the putter. So I'm going to get in your head. We're going to get in Jenny's head as well because she's so worried about losing to a 60-year-old man with a gray beard. You you never got in my
0: head with miniature golf. I just wasn't performing up to my standards, Which is what's going to happen. And because you're I gonna, care very You're going to hit the ball into the
1: net. You're going to hit the ball long. Next thing you know, the paddle's going to go flying yeah. somewhere. And me and your mother are
0: just going to be like, <laughs> there he goes like, again. It's going to be like a five-minute warm-up. We're going to feel this thing yeah. out. And then we're going to cut it loose here. That is how we are going to spend our Monday night <laughs> yeah. football prep uh, as we get ready for the doubleheader tonight. So stretch out. Don't pull anything. And remind your parents that they aren't worth a damn. Uh, <laughs> one of the uh, things I am interested Dad, is uh, one matchup to look at in this Monday night doubleheader for the Steelers and Browns. Dewan Jones getting the start. Jack Conklin yeah. out at right yeah. tackle for the Cleveland Browns. TJ Watt lives here. And one thing we saw, even the uh, San Francisco 49ers as good as they are, if you don't have a plan for that dude on every snap, you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. So plenty to watch as we got two football games coming up tonight Why on were you Monday night football. Me that whole time. Why were you poking To make me? a point. Ross said he wanted you make us a touching. You
1: at, at the point
0: It hit me by. Right it was like a massage too. All right, welcome back to Gojo and Golik. We got this, that, and third coming up in about 10 minutes here to send you off on into your way. But, Dad, it is uh, almost the end of week two. We got two more games coming up tonight, and that means it's time to revisit the stat. One of the preeminent stats that gets brought up every year in the world of the NFL about teams staring down that 0-2 hole we know historically it's been bad, but since the NFL even went to seven playoff teams in each conference going back to twenty twenty, only one of the twenty-three teams to start the NFL season oh two ended up reaching the playoffs. That was last year's right. Cincinnati Bengals. And so even in a world where it is easier to make the playoffs than ever, O two has still been a darn near impossible hole to climb on.
1: And we can add two to that tonight. If Carolina loses zero and two and People had higher hopes for Pittsburgh. And if they lose tonight, they're 0-2 as well. Yeah. So uh, that that could that could be kind of a, a downturn for what people thought their season might be.
0: And I think it's a good reminder, right? You mentioned how different that golf is. Carolina This season was about Bryce Young. This season was about making sure he was comfortable, seeing what you had in other certain spots and building towards the future. And so not being a playoff team, albeit in an NFC that's comparatively weaker, still not Not necessarily the thing that worries anybody. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, hey, we talked about the AFC North like it was going to be the Thunderdome and that Steelers team was going to be a big reason why. And all of a sudden, if you not only fall into an 0-2 hole, but, Dad, the offense is like last week where it doesn't put on tape any of the stuff that we really thought we were going to see, now you've got concerns. So, so far, we've got Cincinnati back at 0-2 again. Right. Houston at 0-2. Denver, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Minnesota Vikings, the Chicago Bears, and the Arizona Cardinals. Dad, who are you most worried about in that group and who are you least worried about in that group as far as the 0-2 hole actually being indicative of the season?
1: So, not Cincinnati because they've been there before and yes. they've come out of it. So, I'm I, while I haven't seen the greatest player in the world out of them, I'm not really as worried about them. Who were the other team? There was one in there that you mentioned. Um, that, that
0: Houston, I, Denver, the Chargers, Minnesota,
1: Chicago, Chargers, and Arizona. The Chargers. I, I just think that's a team that has been. We keep expecting more, and they keep underachieving. At least by our standards. I'm sure by their standards, they're expecting to do more. I think uh, Staley, their, their coach, is definitely on the hot seat. As you mentioned it earlier, his side of the ball, your strength, is not uh, is not playing very well that they they can't stop the run for anything. So, I would say I would be worried about that team. A team we thought, I don't know if we thought they would challenge Kansas City, but thought was would be clearly the second best team in that division and fight for a wild card spot and have a pretty good year. So, that's the team that that kind of has me scratching my head a little bit of When are they going to make that
0: jump? Yeah, I I think I'm with you. The Chargers are the most disappointing. I think they've got the most existential questions to ask about their team's future. And after you mix up the bag, I saw Dan Orlovsky tweet about this, and I thought it was true. (laughs) Kellen Moore comes over as your offensive coordinator. What have we seen demonstrably different about the offense so far? We haven't really seen anything show up. Now, I know this last week, they were without their star running back, and so that was certainly going to affect things a little bit as Austin Eckler was out with injury. But... Overall, it didn't look explosive in Week One. We knew maybe they were trying to exploit an efficiency, uh, an inefficiency, excuse me, in the Dolphins' defense. We're still kind of waiting to see there. The the one thing I'll say is they're the
1: second they they've scored the second most points in the division uh, outside of the Miami Dolphins.
0: Yeah, this is a damning stat. The Chargers are the thirty third team in the Super Bowl era with fifty or more points and zero turnovers through two games, and they are the only one of those teams to start zero and two. So yeah. the production would say hey, better days are eventually going to be here, but are they going to be here soon enough to save the job of your head coach? Because right now for Brandon Staley, Mm -hmm. he seems to be the one, hey, we keep changing stuff and it doesn't keep working. Usually an organization is going to go back and say, hey, coaching is going to be the thing that we carve out as the issue with that. The other ones that have been interesting, Dad, because – I think Minnesota, we expected some regression this season based off last year, winning that many close games, not sustainable, not a real thing. The Chicago Bears have been colossally disappointing so far, not just in the fact that they are 0-2, but they are 0-2 and seem listless, Dad. We came off week one with people asking questions about the effort of one of their star wide receivers, and in week two, offensively, there just does not seem to be a plan right now. We talked about this a little bit with Alabama football and not understanding who their quarterback was, but as much as anything, not seeming like they have an identity that they can point to. For the Bears, it feels like more of the same. They finally targeted DJ Moore a little bit in that right. wide receiver room, but it just still seems like they're a bit helter-skelter on that side of the ball in a year where they shrugged off the number one draft pick, they traded back because they felt like they had the quarterback, and yet it's the same problem from the prior administration where it doesn't seem like they're doing anything to play to the strength of the quarterback. So do, you
1: think, do we think two games in that it was a bad move to not... Trade that spot or, or, or trade, trade Justin trade. Fields to get one of the top quarterbacks? No, I
0: still think I, it I was the either. right
1: move. I do. I, I agree. I think it was the right move. And you're still building around. The team was a whore. We're, we're talking about what that roster was last year, kind of what Arizona is now. It's just a bad roster that you have to build around. And where you're building around Kyler Murray in Arizona, we're not even sure he's going to be the quarterback even though he got paid. And we're going to have to find out about Justin Fields. There's a lot of people that feel split on Justin Fields. I personally like him and was waiting to see that next jump this year. We know he can run the ball, but you have to be able to pass it. And getting DJ Moore we thought would help as well. But you have to build pieces around it as well. But if you want your quarterback to be the franchise quarterback and at times they have to stand out even if there isn't some of the other pieces around. He's not a rookie anymore. He's got some starts under his belt. So for a lot of people, it's going to be, okay, start showing us some things even though there's not a great roster around you that says we need to continue building around you.
0: Yeah, I think that one's been colossally disappointing because I mean, based on two weeks of the season, we're going to start having conversations about the Bears as one of the worst teams at football. They absolutely like, they're going to be in that vein with the Arizona Cardinals with maybe the Washington Commanders because so far the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have kind of looked at that well, and said shrugged it off and, and said, wait hey, a minute,
1: Washington's two and and0 as well
0: yeah yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean I, it's not a cute two and no it's not as someone that was a Washington survivor pool survivor in week yeah. one um, that was not a great experience no, I wouldn't not. recommend it to many of my friends but this was a uh, those two teams, you're right, have absolutely bucked the trend yeah. of what we thought they were going to be. Arizona, listen, still sitting in that 0-2 hole and still very much going to be in the conversation for the number one overall pick, but that's by design. Like, again, we read off the names of these teams here, and there's a bunch of them that I don't think were designed to win a whole lot of games this year or had rookie quarterbacks like Houston.
1: So, again, I mean, with Arizona, that, that we're not going to be talking about them in the midst of competing for anything, but you've paid your quarterback and paid him like he is going to be the guy. And if you falter this year and get a top pick, this is a quarterback heavy draft. Oh, they're taking it. I mean, they've already they, they got Kyler Murray in after they took a quarterback of Josh Rosen. You know, the year before, what, the 10 slot? And they said, we don't care. We're getting Kyler. So you know they don't care about that. But they did pay an awful lot of money to Kyler Murray to,
0: to, to possibly dump him this year. I, I will say the other person could be in that range. Because, again, we look at this group of teams that are at 0-2. Arizona not really worried about. Chicago, unfortunately, that seems like that's trending in the wrong direction. Minnesota, we expected a slide. Yep. Houston, rookie quarterback. Cincinnati, right. we think, will be fine. Chargers on thin ice. Denver's the other one. Talk about if this keeps up here, Denver financially going to be more able to get out of that Russell Wilson contract this offseason. And if it doesn't keep going that way, Sean Payton is going to cut bait from that quarterback. Too. Yeah, yes. Listen, Sean Payton's not going anywhere. Nope. I mean,
1: we just said talk about look of the future of the team. Yeah, it's not Sean. And then for big money guys, it's about where's your dead cap hit? How much money is it going to cost you? Is it feasible? Is it post-June 1st? The whole deal comes into play on what costs you the least amount of money to get rid of somebody. Now, listen, they put up some points yesterday. Uh, you saw some good plays out of Russell, like Sean Payton, likes right from the pocket, making some nice throws. And then you saw Russell Wilson do what Russell Wilson does: take off and run. You saw an inexplicable completed hail mary pass awesome. by Denver, uh, getting a touchdown, but then missing the two point conversion. How you complete a hail mary? Knock the damn thing down. Two point conversion. They got screwed a bit. There was a whole there was a holding in the end zone that should have been called probably called in that play, but it happens. You know, you were in that position, so you, you can't live and die by that by that referee call. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm with you there. Uh, I, I guess a lot depends on the season that Russ has, right? Because you can have a bad year as a team, but can Russ look good enough to where Sean Payton says, let's just continue to build
0: around this? Well, we'll see if he's even got an opportunity to because we know coming up now, they're going to be on the road at the Dolphins. They'll get a little reprieve going on the road against that Chicago team we just talked about. But then home versus the Jets, (laughs) at Pittsburgh, home versus the Packers, and then uh, home versus the Chiefs again. Excuse me, the Chiefs were that team I mentioned on the road. So not going to get any easier schedule-wise for this Denver Broncos team that hasn't been able to put it together so far. So that's going to be the issue. Russ cooking, I agree. That was one of the two spots. We deserved more. A first down out of that Patriots-Cole Strange play, and we deserved a two-point play to count (laughs) and send us to overtime after that Hail Mary. We'll get into overtime here next with this, that, third.
2: All right, guys, we're in the heat of the summer, and you need a pair of great shades that you don't have to baby. Knockaround Sunglasses is the go-to for quality polarized shades that won't break the bank. Plus, they just released the first set of teams of their official MLB collection, including Red Sox and Yankees. Don't be the person that's squinting into the sun or worried about getting sand on their overpriced sunglasses. Check out knockaround.com for great-looking polarized shades starting at just 28 bucks. And use code GOLIC for free shipping on your order.
0: All right, welcome back to Gojo and GOLIC. Let's finish things off with this, that, and the third the way we always do. Three quick stories to send you off on into your day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us that five-star rating. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel, draftkingsnetwork.com, and Samsung TV+, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday uh that's all five of those days of the week uh yeah. guys let's get to this uh the age-old question especially in the world of sports talk radio dad one of your tried and true and very mm-hmm. used to what's the hardest thing to actually do in sports most of us are speaking from like experience in little league stuff that we've done along the way but very rarely what you get at the highest level here enter deon sanders in this conversation famous two-way athlete who Laid his at least opinion on what the most difficult thing to do in his sports career was. Take a listen. You
3: played football, you played baseball. It was nice and basketball. Co- nice and basketball. Uh, all state, all right. state basketball. Yeah. Right. And now you're a coach. See, you're like, oh, What's the hardest one? So- Hitting that baseball. It's harder to get Hitting that baseball. Man, baseball. Hitting that baseball. Right. Yeah, that baseball ain't no joke. That's why they fail seven out of ten times, and they still making it $400 a year. Right.
1: Right. Say words while I figure uh, this I, out. Listen, I have said this all along. I mean, and I was not a, a two-sport professional athlete like Deion Tander was, but we all played, you know, probably Little League Baseball growing up. I, I do think the best athletes in sports are basketball players. Uh, the toughest, you know, outside of the boxing and MMA, which you have to be tough, are hockey players. I'm looking at team sports. And the hardest thing to do in sports, I think, is to hit a baseball. I mean, it is, it is incredibly hard, uh, the round bat and the round ball, uh, to try and hit those, I, I do think is the toughest thing to do. Uh, so I, I agree with him on that, though. He has better better practical application than I do in that. So you could take his words a lot better than
0: mine. I do think it's just a math thing, too. When you look at that sport, even for the professionals, the best in the sport, success is still like a yes. third of the time. Yes, so exactly. You look, those guys, Hall of Famers, are able to do that only that frequently. What about the rest of us would be completely humbled. It's not to say the rest of it, like trying to gain a yard. I saw that clip from new heights where they brought Shannon sharp on to ask him if skip Bayless would get a yard in an NFL game. And no, the average person would die before that happened. Like trying to hit a baseball would be the one most likely to let you walk away with your body intact. Football would kill you, but it's still the hardest thing to do. I think,
1: I, I think absolutely. It's the hardest thing to do. And imagine that if you get a hit, Three out of ten times, you're going to be set for the rest of your and your kid's life money-wise. I mean, listen, if we want to
0: talk infrequent success, though, if you're a defensive lineman and you get one sack and one TFL a game every game of the season, you're also wearing a gold jacket at some point. So it's not like your job is all that hard either. What's wrong with that? Make one play a game. That's all you guys have to do. You know how hard
1: it is to do that?
0: Yeah, one play a game. And sometimes you don't even get blocked, and that's the play, and people just ignore the fact that the offense made the mistake, but the defensive guy gets credit. It's ridiculous. they
1: understand the great athletes that we are.
0: Oh move, on. God. move on. Move on. Don't screw this one up. Let's move on to another collection of people trying to make a difference as opposed to the individuals over on defense, Jesse.
2: Yeah, Dartmouth uh, men's basketball trying to unionize, okay? So 15 men's basketball players forming a union here. Yeah. Um, Very interesting. This is the second time a college team has attempted to unionize in the last decade. Last time it was Northwestern football. Tried to do it in 2014. That attempt ended in 2015. It was uh, denied. So interesting here. And Dartmouth has come out and said, like, we respect unions and we're going to, you know, take a look at this petition and speak with our players and try and figure this out. But an interesting play to be trying to unionize.
0: So, Dad, what I'd say is this, I think we're getting closer and closer to a time in college sports where, you know, this is going to be a bigger part of the conversation and the unionizing of athletes, whether it's in a world where Power Five football breaks away and begins and starts as its own separate product away from the other sports like we've batted about through all this. That would need to involve collective bargaining, unions. It would need to involve a revenue split, all these things that would make this somewhat vital. And that's because the product has become so clearly professionalized in a way that's difficult to ignore that the relationship has now become employer and employee. This year's Colorado is going to be a fascinating exercise in that as you basically had a coach that made cuts after spring ball. He was allowed to, but again, it all reeks of anecdotally a relationship that's become employer-employee. I don't know if Dartmouth basketball is going to be the thing that necessarily drives that case home in the same way just because you do not think of Ivy League athletics in the same way that you maybe think of Georgia football, Power 5 football, and the dynamic there.
1: Well, I, I think if this is going to happen, it's not going to be one team, even Georgia football or Alabama football. I don't think one team is going to do this. I think it's going to have to be a collective of either starting with a conference or just going right to you know, all of, whether it be basketball players, football players, however it goes, I don't think one team is going to do, one team may talk about starting this like a Dartmouth, which would I think then lead, I don't know if in this case it will, but at some point leading to the bigger discussion of saying, okay, okay, Let's every team in this conference try and unionize or every power five team or every football team try and unionize because then, as you said, it gets bigger. Someone's someone's got to run that. Someone's got to be president of that. There's got to be a CBA who are you negotiating with. Who's the collective of 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 university presidents? Are they picking a person? Yeah. I mean, there yeah. are so many steps to where this thing has to go. And I guess they say, you know, it starts with one. We tried it with Northwestern, didn't work. Dartmouth, I don't think it's going to work. But I do think there will be a legitimate attempt at this. But there's got to be a lot of ducks in the row before this happens. A lot of questions have to be answered before you
0: go down this road. And we've seen enough important coaches and officials who have said, yeah, I would have no problem if we just made this like the NFL. Because remember, for a lot of these coaches – that would make their life a lot easier sure than would to manage the current system of scholarships, but also you've got collectives and NIL money, and you've got the portal, and round and round we go. Most coaches, I think if you caught them in an honest moment, would be heavily in favor, especially at the Power 5 level, of just calling this what it's been for them for quite some time and then doing away with the charade that's existed everywhere else. So good luck to those boys at Dartmouth. I hope it goes well for them, and we will see, uh, Jesse, what might happen there. Unfortunately, let's talk about some disappointment as we get to the third here as a little bit of the NBA rest problem has worked its way into MLS after this past weekend.
2: Oh, my God. Atlanta fans were crushed when they found out that Messi would not be with Inter-Miami. Basically, this game lost all its celebrity juice like 18 hours before kickoff. Messi opting to rest, remain in Miami. A sellout crowd. Everybody wearing Messi jerseys. You know, even the inner Miami, uh, even the Atlanta fans are like, "Yes, we can't wait to see Messi." Nope, he did not come. I think I saw there were seventy thousand people in the stadium. So obviously, a ton of frustration, but kind of to be expected here with a player like Messi. He's your star dude. You need to rest him up for the last games of the regular season, and he would be playing on turf here.
0: Yeah, there's a couple different yeah. angles to this, Dad, and you—you know, you saw. There were second. We've seen the ticket prices yeah. soar yeah. for all the Inter Miami matches since Messi came over there. So you've got people playing, paying hundreds of dollars, flying out. This has become an event. This has become a traveling band around the world of Major yeah. League Soccer in America but their side is saying he's already played more games than we expected in the early going here with the team, and so we've got to manage that. And then there's also the playing surface factor. We talked about that relative to the World Cup coming over here, the frustration of NFL players here, but this is a very NBA problem that we've seen of people banking on one thing when you've got maybe one opportunity to see a player like this in person and then getting another and being disappointed. Yeah,
1: and this is one I, I can absolutely see both sides of it, right? That a player, because if if I'm correct, he hasn't taken a break yet, right? No. I mean, he's played in, in all the games. So has, he is 36 years old. He's yes. not like he's in the beginning of his career. And at some point, you would have thought this might happen. And just to run him out there, remember, it's the team's responsibility to do the best you can as a team sure. in the long run here. Uh, so I, I, I feel for both sides. Now, has basketball gone a little too far with this? Yes, and they're trying to take steps, the NBA, which we've talked about, and we'll talk more about it, of steps to not have guys rest as much, especially the stars of the league. This one's tough for me. If he hasn't taken a break yet and you're you know trying to do what you're trying to do at the end of the year and get him some rest, you have to pick a spot. Now, some may say pick it at home where a lot of the same people are seeing the games over and over, some new ones, as opposed to on the road where it's a whole – different crew that has never seen
0: it. I think it's all about communication because with how late in the game this yes, was communicated... Yeah. It seems dishonest by the parties involved. And this is an overall MLS thing. This is your star commodity, a guy that you brought in. I do think you owe it to fans to communicate that effectively about where and when he's going to be. I can understand the concerns about the surface, rest, and all those things. But communication should be at the forefront when it's people's hard-earned time and money. We value your hard-earned time and money. If you liked ours, download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us that five-star rating. Thanks so much. Enjoy Monday Night Football.